Hi guys, welcome to episode 8 of Hashtag Life of the Surveyor. I'm glad you've all stuck around and welcome to the new listeners that we might have. We're up to about 200 odd listeners now and as I mentioned previously, they're, they're across the world. So, you know, keep listening, keep letting others know that this podcast is out there, keep promoting it and if there's any questions, queries, please do get in touch via my Instagram page, The Life of a Surveyor. Um, that is probably the best means of communication and it means that I'm on there straight away because I spend half my life on Instagram. So this week we're going to be looking at the government advice. We finally had some government advice on coronavirus and the effect of it for landlords and tenants and what landlords and tenants should be doing. So let's jump straight into it. So the government have finally, finally published a code of practice for the commercial property sector, which focuses on the pandemic and the restrictions that the government has introduced and the objective for the commercial property sector during this period, during the whole COVID period. So we're going to look through the document. It's available on the .gov website. And I just give me a shout out if you want a link to it. I'll send you a copy of the document. It's publicly available so anyone can see it. So it's, it's not a very long document. And I've got to say, it's not, it's not the best guidance out there. And it's nothing that landlords and tenants aren't doing already. So it, if I'm honest, it wasn't the best piece of advice. I would have thought they'd give us a little bit more and set out exactly what needs doing. It, it, we'll go into it in more detail in a bit, but... I personally wasn't entirely happy with the advice that's been given or the, the the code that's been created. So this is created by the Ministry of Housing, Communities and Local Government, and it's called the Code of Practice for Commercial Property Relationships During the COVID-19 Pandemic. And it was published in June 2020, and it is I think it's just about 11 or 12 pages long, got a usual kerfuffle at beginning got a ministerial foreword by one of the ministers uh it's the minister for regional growth and local government i'm not going to go through that but it just goes on about you know that it's an unprecedented time we're in the middle of a pandemic and the government has done certain things to um, support commercial property tenants so if, if i just go through a quick bit which stands out to me It says, our objective for the commercial property sector during this period is simple, to provide the right support to those in the chain of commercial property payments from customers to tenant businesses to commercial landlords and lenders so that our economy can recover swiftly. Great, that's what we need. To date, this this has meant that enacting a moratorium on forfeitures and associated measures for tenant businesses and making available over £330 billion of guaranteed loans. This is in addition to a significant package of interventions including business rates relief and the world-leading coronavirus job retention scheme. So we spoke about a lot of these things in the last podcast that is available to tenants who, who are in the retail sector and uh, occupying commercial property and how they've been affected. So, you know, we've said that there's a moratorium on forfeitures and associated measures. So a landlord cannot kick you out. Now, there has been a little bit of a anomaly to this with, I believe it's Pound Land in one of their sites where they were in the middle of a landlord and tenant act 
proceeding, so the 54X proceeding, and I think time had lapsed and the landlord has effectively enforced the proceedings and effectively gone in, changed the locks, and Poundland weren't able to return uh, once retail had opened and trade out their unit because the landlord had taken the unit back. So there's been a bit of a kerfuffle with that in the media. Again, I'll put a um, link to the article that I'm referring to. It's, it's out there in the public world, so it's not, not anything that's a secret. So we can take a look at that. So, you know, the, they have put a moratorium on forfeitures, but at the same time, there are ways around it. There are loopholes which landlords are using, but I don't recommend it. It just gets messy. There is £330 billion of guaranteed loans. Yes, there is. But how much of that has actually been given to occupiers, tenants, businesses? Uh, we don't really get that sort of reporting in much detail. So it'll be good to see you know, exactly what tenants, what occupiers, what businesses have received these guaranteed loans and what, what it's all about. So if you're one of these occupiers that has applied for these guaranteed loans and has got it, please do get in touch. Let me know if that's helped you, if that's helped keep your business alive. How is it helping? What are you put using that towards? Are you using that towards your rent payments, your service charge payments? Obviously, business rates have been um, abolished until next year, so you, you won't have to pay business rates. So that's another measure that um, that has been uh, provided by the government as well. So it's great. And then obviously the job retention scheme, which they say is uh, a world leading uh, job retention scheme so I know that that's causing a lot of issues for uh, employees at the moment but um, that's not not what we're here to talk about today but there's there's a bit more to it but it, it kind of gives you a bit of forward it says the code of practice sits alongside other measures such as the moratorium on forfeiture of commercial leases and changes to commercial rent arrears recovery CRA which we've mentioned before statutory demands and winding up petitions which provide biz tenant businesses for breathing space to work with landlords and other partners on a plan for a sustainable future. So that kind of is a is the gist of what this document is trying to do. What this code of practice is trying to do is trying to get the landlords and tenants working together, and they they they've put it in a, in such a way that you are working together, but there's no solution. They're not giving us advice on what solutions are available. It's talk to each other and come to a solution so like i said it's not the best guidance out there but again that's just my opinion and you've got an introduction which goes on about the code and the legal physicians and then again keeps mentioning all the reliefs that they've given now i've got to say this code applies to all commercial leases held by businesses which have been seriously negatively impacted by the covid19 crisis and then it goes in for example the hospitality, retail, leisure, office, industrial and logistics, ports or rural sectors. But it is expected that the hospitality and leisure and parts of the retail sectors will need the most of it. Businesses in the agricultural sector may also want to consider principles while acknowledging uh, the different legal framework for agricultural tenancies. Now, I'm not an expert on agricultural tenancies, so I won't go into that, but I would seek uh, advice on a professional that deals with agricultural land um, a rural surveyor uh, like we said i think it was in episode one where we set out the different types of surveyors and what they do so you'll know all about that so both parties should be taking into account the impacts of any changes to the long-term viability of their businesses right so 
effectively you want to know if you're a tenant you want to know what impact it's going to make to the landlord now remember the landlords don't own a lot of these properties outright they could have a mortgage on them they could have a loan against them it could be a charge against them it could be anything so the landlord isn't always the first port of call to grant you a relief and i've said this time and time again don't think the landlord is a credit lending facility because they're getting it up their backside just as much from their lenders as you would from your landlords so it's it's a vicious chain so where tenants are saying the landlords have been greedy trust me they're not they're getting chased just as bad by their by their lenders so just bear that in mind so on on that point the code says landlords and tenants are encouraged to engage with their lenders and finance providers to seek flexible support in relation to their existing financial arrangements where this is needed right so it's kind of passing the blame and the onus so you know where tenants would first go to the landlord say listen landlord can i get some flexibility on my rent payments sometimes the landlord will say yes sometimes they no no okay you move on to the next person further up the chain the bank so um you know it's just passing the buck it's it's not you know no one's taking any responsibility here so it's it's a bit annoying in that sense so again it talks about the moratoriums and the insolvency bill it goes on to mention that there are quite a few organizations that have endorsed this code and encourages their members to adhere to the principles and approach the signatories that have sort of all uh, come together and sort of all the representative bodies who formed the code steering group that th- there's quite a few of them and uh, to name a few you've got the british chambers chambers of commerce the British Property Federation, the British Retail Consortium, Commercial Real Estate Finance Council Europe, you've got Revo, the RICS and UK Hospitality. So you're talking big names here. So there's been a lot of input from all these big, big organisations and these big representative bodies that have come together and discussed this to um, support the code and, the, and its principles. And there's there's a few others as well. So you've got the Agricultural Law Society, you've got the Association of Convenience Stores, British Beers and Pubs Association, British Independent Retailers Association, you've got the Federation of Small Businesses, Property Owners Forum, Scottish Property Federation, UK Active, UK Major Ports Group and a few others. So, you know, it's not just England, it's England, Wales, Scotland, um, I believe there's some of Northern Ireland in here, some, some, some associations from Northern Ireland. So you know it's the whole country come together all their all their representative bodies and 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 the lobbyists come together to put this document together this document will apply until the 24th of june 2021 so we've got to adhere by this until 2021 and it's interesting how they've set it to a quarter day so they set it to the 24th of june which is a quarter day if you're paying usual quarter days so you will have to be you effectively it will affect the whole year's quarter going forward so today is quarter the day of recording is quarter day and uh, so it's 24th of june 2020 is the day of recording and it's going to be applicable until the 24th of june 2021 so you've got a whole year where this is applicable so what are the principles of this code now there's four main points here one transparency and collaboration so it kind of wants business continuity to be the mutual interest for both parties the landlord and the tenant so it expects the people who are adhering by this code to act reasonably swiftly transparently and in good faith so Again, you know, you you wouldn't 
be doing anything different in a normal situation so the fact that they've got to put that in the document i just found that a bit weird because you should be doing that anyway and the rics says that you should be transparent you know it's it's one of one of the um, ethical standards so the fact that they've had to put this in here as well it, it kind of makes me wonder you know is that really necessary but then to, to, to make sure people do adhere to it so let's see so that's number one number two a unified approach now it says we will endeavor to help and support each other in all of our dealings with other stakeholders involving governments utility companies banks financial institutions and others to achieve the outcomes reflecting this code's objectives well again you should be doing that anyway it's humanity you know you should be looking to help others so yeah i'm not too sure on these principles but anyway that's number two number three government support where businesses whether landlord or tenant have received government COVID-19 related subsidies or reliefs, for example, the job retention scheme, loans, grants, business rates relief or VAT deferral. We recognise that this support has been provided to help businesses meet their commitments. This will include a spectrum of costs from suppliers of goods and services, as well as rent and other property costs, such as insurance, utilities and service charges. Yes, but it doesn't say what other government support is available out there and what, what else you're going to be able to offer which I would have thought would be the basis of this document. But hey-ho, the government have just stuck to their guns and said, you know, the initial 330 billion is pretty much all we're giving. But I think that they do need to consider other options and alternatives and give, give other avenues of support to landlords and tenants. So, yeah, I'm not, not too convinced on that one either. And then the final one, number four, acting responsibly and reasonably. Well, you should be doing that. We will operate re reasonably and responsibly, recognising the impact of COVID-19 in order to identify mutual solutions where they are most needed. Well, yeah, that's what we're trying to do. That's, you know, that's not just the objective of this code. That's the objective of you know, the economy. So that is it's not necessary. What is the government doing? It's not necessary to put that in. You're wasting space. You're wasting ink. You're wasting time putting that in. But hey, again, that's my that's my opinion. If anyone thinks otherwise, please do get in touch. I'm more than happy to have a debate on this. So those, those were the four principles that they put into the document. And then you've got another couple of pages where they start giving you a bit of advice. Now, it's not the best, but it, it kind of tells each party what they should be doing and how they should be responding to the other's requests. So both parties will want to consider how to protect commercially sensitive information as part of this process. So it looks to seek new arrangements between landlords and tenants. And it goes, it goes on to say every landlord and tenant relationship is different and we respect the rights of the parties to settle on an arrangement that reflects this. However, in seeking an arrangement and any changes to rental payments, both parties should have acted in good faith, reasonably and flexibly as set out in the principles above. Right. Fine. We get that. Tenants seeking concessions should be clear with their landlords about why this is needed. This means being prepared to be transparent and explaining their requests by providing financial information about their businesses. Now, a lot of businesses won't be happy to provide their financials to landlords because this will have various levels of impact. You know, you don't want to be giving away financial information because if it pans out that, you know, your business has been doing well, you're not going to get a rent reduction. And if you've got an upcoming rent review or a lease event, so a lease renewal or a rent review, that can go against you. To, you know, it kind of goes to show that your location, your business is doing well. Therefore, it's of value to you. 
so you know you should be paying either the same rent or a higher rent so you want to be careful if you're a tenant you want to be careful not to give away too much information financial information to landlords now they do go on to say this should be to an appropriate and relative extent which may differ from case to case so they've, they've kind of backed themselves up there landlords should provide concessions where they reasonably can taking into account their own fiduciary duties and financial commitments and landlords seeking to refuse concessions should be clear with their tenants about why they are doing so so it kind of puts it out there to say that the landlord's got costs of their own to to deal with and their financial commitments as well so that's a good thing i'm happy they've put that in there it goes on to say that there needs to be a reasonable explanation for each party's decision and taking into account information provided by both parties, given that it could be commercially sensitive. So there is quite a lot of things to consider there. So if the tenant does give up financial information, then you've got to have that responsibility of not sharing it with others or not applying it to other contexts and stuff like that. So I would have thought they'd put in a bit more regulation and rules as to how that information is used, what information you can and can't receive and stuff like that. But they haven't gone into too much detail. It's still quite open-ended here. So... It goes on to say, in considering a tenant's request to renegotiate their rent, landlords may wish to bear in mind the impact of the following issues on the entire business of both the tenant and the landlord. This is not an exhaustive list, but it could give you an indication of the extent to which the tenant's financial position has been impacted across their entire business. And there's a whole list of things which I'm sure if you're a tenant, you'll know all about. And I know landlords have been looking at this from both sides of, 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 of the of of the field so yes landlords aren't being cooperative but at the same time they're looking at the bigger picture as well so if they've got say for example marks and spencers as a tenant in one location that's been shut for a while because it's in a shopping center and they haven't been able to adhere to uh, social distancing whereas they've got a t marks and spencers in another location which is a standalone store and they've sort of done their own social distancing and opened and traded and they're doing well they can't apply the sort of financials of that MS, the, the standalone MS, to the one in the shopping centre. So, that, you know, it, it's, it's got to be taken on a case by case basis. So, things that will impact the entire business for a tenant closing for a period, the closure period impacting the tenant's business and the ability to trade via other means. Now, that one, I think one of the big things I've come across is for the hospitality and the restaurant sector, where restaurants haven't been able to trade for a, for a eat in offering they have managed to do takeaway and delivery service where they've effectively managed to trade through covid and in some instances hit the sales levels that they had before covid and in some instances even do better than their sales were with the eat in offering so for some businesses the takeaway and delivery option has worked out a lot better than than their actual come in eat in dine in service so just got to bear that in mind so if you do have a restaurant business i would suggest if they've been trading through covid by offering a takeaway or a delivery service you know make sure you get their accounts and see whether there has been a significant change in their in their income because there are some restaurants out there that have managed to do significantly well out of the situation so just bear that in mind if you're a landlord and you have a restaurant tenant so the duration and the extent of restricted trading due to social distancing requirements. Now, this will probably apply to pretty much every tenant. If they have a property where they can't adhere to social distancing, 
they are going to have to impact their sales. So I spoke to a tenant last week who runs a deli and has a cafe operation within that deli. And I believe they had about 24 covers to start with and they've got to bring it down to eight to adhere to social distancing rules. Now, I know the two metre rule is being relaxed down to one metre, but even in some instances, that one metre won't be enough so you've just got to bear that in mind whether your tenants will be able to carry on trading safely and adhere to social distancing because that that will again have an impact on their operations and their income so just bear that in mind extra costs and obligations through protecting customers to adhere to social distancing requirements. now everyone has had to front some costs to adhere to social distancing and make sure their customers are safe so that if that, that that could be putting up screens it could be putting up posters markings on the floor training up the staff getting extra staff to act as marshals loads of things so you've got to bear that in mind that you know not only the tenants have had to spend this money landlords have also had to do it if it's a big shopping center they've got to make sure the common areas are all protected so just bear that in mind needs of other stakeholders such as banks employees and suppliers during this period now like i said the lenders and suppliers are going to be on the customers backs as well whether that's the landlord or the tenant so just bear that in mind government support how it's been received how has this been used like i said i'm not sure how much of these grants has actually been paid out to uh, businesses so it'll be interesting to see what what people come back with but yeah i'd love to know what that grant and how much it is and what you're are you using it all towards one thing are you trying to apportion it up and use it prioritize what you're using towards just let me know. And whether it's what you expected, is that, you know, is, is the amount of the grant what you expected to receive? Or were you expecting more? Were you expecting less? How's it been? Let me know. And then it kind of goes into the tenant's previous track record and then whether they've had any prior concessions and if they've adhered to their lease terms. So that, that that's got to be taken into consideration as well. The impact that providing support may have on the tenant's competitors and on other support offered already to tenants. Now, a lot of landlords have offered concessions already and some landlords haven't. So it could be that one tenant's benefited from it, another hasn't. So you've got to bear that in mind as well, just making sure that the impact on what support's been given, what's already been offered, and whether they've been offered better support elsewhere, whether they've benefited elsewhere and they can use some of that benefit to yours. I don't know. It depends how big your tenant is. If it's a major retailer, a national retailer, they could use benefit from, you know, saving from somewhere else and put it elsewhere. But if it's just a one-man band sole trader, they're going to want all the help they can get. So just got to bear that in mind. And then uh, alternative considerations in a regulated sector. So, for example, pubs that are regulated under the pubs code. So you've got to bear that in mind as well. So you can't just go around making changes to to, to, to a pub and, you know, doing it. You've got to adhere by that code as well. So you've got to bear that in mind. And again, it might even include planning. You know, some of these things might require planning and, and, and other consent. So just bear that in mind. So it goes on to say what new arrangements can be put in place and agreed by both parties given that there's that moratorium on forfeiture um, and there's similar measures in Scotland. So remember, Scot law is a bit different. So where you would have forfeiture in England and Wales, you would have irritancy in Scotland for the non-payment of rent. So just got to bear that in mind. But I think they're both covered by the Coronavirus Act 2020. So just take a look into that and seek legal advice if you're not sure. So... 
where I was expecting more advice and, you know, a clear bit of guidance as to what you can do, what a landlord or a tenant can do, these are the options that the code has given us. And these options for new arrangements that could be agreed by both parties are, are set out as suggestions. And it's not an exhaustive list, but they, they've, they've, put, they've put these in into the code. So if I was a landlord or a tenant, this is what I would look to do first and then sort of look at other options later. But it's not in too much detail. It's not, I, I, I personally didn't find it helpful. But anyway, this is the list. So A, a full or a partial rent-free period for a set number of payment periods. B, a deferral of the whole or part of the rent for one or maybe more payment periods. C, the payment of rents over shorter payment periods for a set amount of time, e.g. monthly rather than quarterly, including provision for their payment in arrears. D, rental variations to reduce the ongoing payments to a current market rate and or to provide all or part of the rent to be paid as a proportion of turnover of the site, incorporating any periods during which the site was closed. So this is one of the things we talked about where leases, future leases might be changing. And, you know, the new norm might be that all new leases will be put onto turnover rent. So where you don't trade well, you don't pay rent or you pay a lower rent where you do well, you pay more rent. So that is one of the um, one of the options. B. Landlords drawing from rent deposits on the understanding that the landlord will not then require that deposits be topped up by the tenant before it is realistic and reasonable to do so. So where you do have a rent deposit, the landlord should be able to draw down for non-payment of rent, depending on, of course, how much the deposit is and how much rent it can cover. And then you request a top up once the coronavirus situation has eased down and you know the business is making money again. Uh, the tenant is making money again and is able to top up that rent deposit to the level it was at. So that's another option. F, reductions in rent either in whole or part across other units occupied by the tenant and owned by the landlord as part of a negotiated agreement applying to a portfolio of units. So where you've got the tenant in a number of units, you can try and do like a block deal as part of a package. G, Landlords waiving contractual default interest on unpaid rents or rents paid in arrears to make payment plans more affordable. Now, I've not heard of any landlord that has charged interest on unpaid rents at the moment. That's not to say that land, some landlords will not do that. So just be wary of that. And if possible, try and negotiate that. No interest charges will be applied and try and get that in writing as well if you can because again that will be a bit of help to you when it comes to clearing your arrears as a tenant and if you're a landlord and you've got suppliers again try and get them to not charge you default interest rates as well for late payments etc so it, you know it works on both sides of the party h provisions for ending the solutions on a fixed date or on reaching the trigger point of particular circumstances so you try and put in time scales to see when something can be done. Now, obviously, this code is running till the 24th of June 2021. So it might be that you run it, you run it coterminous with this code and then post 2021, June 2021, you start trying to get all your arrears back together and look at other means of recovering the, um, the arrears. I, tenants and landlords agreeing to split the costs of the rent for the unoccupied period between them. Now, I'm not sure any landlord will agree to this, but tenants can certainly try. If you've tried this and succeeded, please do let me know. If you failed, 
Uh, let me know what the landlord's reasons were. I mean, it's pretty obvious what their reasons were, but you know, how did they how did they come across? How did you put it to them? You know, I'd love to know because this is something that you wouldn't necessarily get if you're just trading normally. Disregard COVID for now, but you know, if you're trading normally, you come into some instability uh, in trading, and you know, your sales aren't coming in. You can't generate the income. You can't afford to pay the rent. You wouldn't go to the landlord and say, "Listen, let's call it fifty-fifty. You pay half my rent. I'll pay half the rent. Let's see how it goes." It just wouldn't work. So, um, if anyone's tried that, let me know what the response has been. Let me know what the feedback's been from the landlords. And then Jay, the final one, they said any of the above, so A to I, in return for other arrangements, e.g. a reversionary lease on reasonable terms, the removal of a break right in favour of the tenant or an extension of the lease. Now, I've had a tenant who is a gym operator who have said that they would want another three months of rent free, but they would be happy to extend the lease out by another six months. So the lease end date would be pushed out by another six months. So effectively, the landlord isn't losing anything out. Now, there's a whole raft of issues there. You know, you've got to do a deed of variation to the lease. You've got to effectively get your client's approval to do that. You've got to see how all the payments and stuff pan out and you know when they're going to take the rent free period are they going to do it over once once it's all documented i'm going to want it straight away there's a load of issues that you want to look at there but it is an option and it is a bargaining tool so remember all of these things are bargaining tools for both parties so you've just got to bear that in mind there are more options out there but these are just the ones that the government have put out in the code and probably the majority of them are the ones that you know landlords and tenants will be looking to uh, agree and go down so you know it, it, it's there and then finally they've mentioned service charge and insurance charges now it's important that builders continue to be insured and safely managed so that they're ready to support the economy's recovery uh, after COVID-19 so it, it just sort of mentions and it goes without saying and um, because you've got the service charge code as well to adhere to any service charge and insurance charges payable under the lease is not profit making and unless otherwise agreed needs to be paid in full now there are sites where tenants aren't paying rent but the service charge because the site is still being managed and you know you've got all the health and safety obligations to adhere to security provisions etc etc you are still benefiting from that service as a tenant even though you're not occupying you will still be benefiting from the services that you've received that the building has received that the property has received so you just got to bear in mind that insurance and service charge does still fall payable even if you've managed to agree that rent isn't payable or you aren't paying the rent the service charge and insurance is still payable and i believe the landlord can chase you up for that it's can't act on um sort of forfeiture and stuff on that and you can't use craft so that's service charge insurance uh, it does also mention that landlords should ensure that service charge costs are reduced where practicable and consistent with the best provide best value for occupiers and the frequency of tenant service charge payments should be spread over short periods so again monthly as opposed to quarterly uh, which used to be the norm <laughs> It also goes to say that where there's a no net reduction in overall service charge due to the lack of the use of the property and any additional sort of take into account any additional COVID-19 related costs, the reduction should be passed on to tenants as soon as possible ahead of the end of year reconciliations to help with cash flow and business viability. So if landlords have provided services at a lower rate, they've cut services to save money or they just weren't applicable because the site wasn't being occupied or used, any savings should be passed on as a credit 
provide it to the tenants pretty much straight away as soon as possible rather than waiting for the reconciliation at the end of the year. And then they've also put in a note to say that landlords landlords should ensure that all management fees reflect the actual work carried out and in managing the services and the service charge during COVID-19. As if we were going to charge management fees just for the hell of it. Come on, government, you know better than that. We've got to stick by the service charge code and by the RFCS. So, uh, you know, we can't do that. And then the thing is, they do refer to the RFCS professional statement of service charges in commercial property in the last point, point G. So uh, they are aware of it, but they put all this in there. So it's quite interesting. But um, yeah, that that's pretty much it. It's, it's, it's an 11 page document available on the government website. That's the advice they've given us. So, yeah, I mean, it's good that they've set it out. And, you know, for, for, for occupiers that aren't too savvy with the commercial property world and, you know, aren't being advised um, by surveyors or, or solicitors on this, this is quite useful for them. But at the same time, you know, you wouldn't want to restrict yourself to what this guidance says there's a lot more out there that you can do and you know on another podcast i will tell you what other options are available to landlords and tenants but yeah it's it's good that government has finally given us some advice some steering in potentially the right direction i'm a bit loath to say that but there's there is some guidance out there now at least the landlords have got something whereas before it was all advice for tenants and occupiers so a bit of good news but I think there is still more advice that is needed. So hopefully the government will be publishing some more uh, guidance over the next few weeks. But let's see. I hope that you found that useful. It's it's quite good to break the guidance down bit by bit and just explain it in a bit more detail. So hopefully you found that useful. If you did, let me know. If you didn't, let me know. I won't do it again. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, it, it's been an interesting couple of weeks. And you'll notice the name of the podcast this week is go 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 outdoors and the reason i've done that is because go outdoors have been a bit cheeky and um, use covid and the sort of recovery of retail as an excuse to go into a cva and end up negotiating new leases new rents with landlords so that is the breaking news for today that go outdoors went into administration agreed a pre-pack administration so jd jd sports owned go outdoors they bought go outdoors a couple of years ago didn't go down well they never recovered from it and it kind of hit rock bottom and they've gone into a cva set up a new company and effectively bought go outdoors again under a new company's guys so slightly sneaky but you know it gives them the chance to negotiate new leases on the properties they occupy they can get rid of the ones that don't work for them so they can just forfeit those straight away but any ones that they do want to keep and are profitable for them they can negotiate more favorable terms with the landlords and landlords will want to keep them in as a tenant because it's virtually impossible to let units of their size they're usually 30 40 000 square foot retail out of town units um, and there's just not that much demand for it depending on the location size layout of the stores and stuff but Usually larger units are harder to dispose of and you'll hear a car driving past because the windows are open because it's 31 degrees today. So um, I'm off to enjoy the sun now. (laughs) But um, yeah, as ever, thank you for listening. 
there's any questions at all please do post them you can email me you can message me on instagram you can send messages on anchor if you're listening to this on anchor you can actually drop me a voice note so you can actually be in the podcast so if you want to try that drop me a voice note i'll pop your question in on the next podcast and we can do a q a session if you'll find that useful now just on that final point i am looking to work with the chn the city hindus network um, which I've which I've been quite close to, and I'm planning to do a Zoom live call, a live session, which is providing advice on commercial property and just talking about commercial property. So if there's any topics that you'd like me to cover and you're interested in joining the um, Zoom call, drop me a note. I'll be putting up potential dates and topics on my Instagram. So please keep following my Instagram if you're not the life of a surveyor look me up hit that follow button and i'll be putting up updates on my story so please do keep an eye out for dates etc so i will be in touch regarding that very shortly and it's exciting times ahead but as ever thank you for listening please do share this podcast with others because i've had so much feedback coming in to say that it's quite useful for some people yeah please do share it with others let them know it's out there it's completely free of charge and there's various Uh, avenues for you to listen to it's now on apple Podcasts and spotify and anchor so you should be able to find somewhere to listen to it and it's completely free so please do share it please do listen stay tuned for the next one take care stay safe and um, yeah enjoy the weather while you can